Hi, I'm Joanne Woodson, a solo practitioner specializing in commercial leasing law. I've been a lawyer for a long time, and I know that there's a lot to wrap your head around when it comes to commercial leasing. The goal of my podcast, the Commercial Leasing Diva podcast, is to make your lives as commercial leasing professionals easier and more fun. In the podcast, I speak to other commercial leasing professionals who share their expertise so that we can all improve our commercial leasing game and better serve our clients. Today on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Natalie Wainwright. Natalie is Vice President of Logic Commercial Real Estate in charge of their tenant rep division. She's based in Las Vegas and Reno. Natalie and I have a wide ranging discussion about the role of women in commercial real estate with a particular emphasis on commercial leasing, as well as the current market situation in Las Vegas and Reno. And I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation. I know I learned a lot and I think you will too. Enjoy. You're muted. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was like, don't beat up person. And there I was, I was that person. Hi. That always happens. How's How's doing? Doing? I'm so excited. Okay, let me put you in front of me. So I'm not like talking to myself. <laughs> That's always fun, right? This whole Zoom thing is so weird, isn't it? Just talk to the side of my face, all right? <laughs> Let's see. And then I, I often will put up a document on my other screen. And so then I'm like looking at the other screen and you know, oh, yeah. my, my clients are like, oh no, don't put the screen share on. I can't, you know, that's too much for me. So. Oh, and you're like, okay, anyway. you're not, get over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I love well, your background. It's cute. Oh, thank you. I've, I've thought about like redoing it because it's obviously my home, you know, right. and COVID hit, this is my dining room and it's okay. a formal dining room, but I'm like, it, but I don't want to redo it. I just love it. It's like, these are the things that make me happy. So, yeah. and I have to look yeah, at yeah, them. Yeah. Long. <laughs> yeah. You'll see when I, when I post different videos, you know, often I'll have a dog walking through the frame. I just did one where the dog would like walk towards me and walk away from I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like it's it's the way it is now. So yeah. there you go. And I love your I love your handle a lot. Well, thank you. So. <laughs> I love it, love it, love it. Yeah, I, I just recorded a whole the sort of the first episode of the podcast is me sort of talking about why I call myself commercial leasing diva. Oh, okay. Then I'll have to listen to it. I won't make you re-explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> or I can last say long story short, it started out as sort of not a compliment because I had said to my boss at the time, many, many years ago, I want to only do commercial leasing. Yeah. And my boss was like, we would love you. We can't accommodate their request. But then it kind of got out that I had asked for that. And so people were like, oh, you're such a diva, you know, and there were, it was like kind of a joke, but it kind of wasn't a joke. Yeah. I like that. I decided to embrace it and say a diva is like a world-class opera singer who is extremely successful at her profession. How could I not embrace such a term? Yeah. And I find that being a woman in this industry, it's like, I was told today, um, no, Natalie, that's not the way that works. And mm -hmm. I got to tell you, my older brother is my new business partner. And I, every time I hear that, I think, Yes, because I'm going to teach you how this works. And so we did. And now my client's going to buy the building, not the client that you were trying to railroad in behind my client, but not presenting the offers. So, you know, I, I just think CRE diva, you know, bulldog, pit bull, shark. <laughs> 
like, you know, it's always done with kindness and love, but we've got to do what we got to do. Otherwise we just get railroaded. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So I, I have an editor who will be editing this together. Um, and you know, there's a little standard intro that I always do, but so what I thought I would start though with you, especially since you're my first person talking to the first person I've spoken to who is in Nevada, is just to have you tell me a little bit about your CRE journey. Um, especially I know for women brokers, it's a little more difficult for women. I think in my experience, all the male brokers, I know most of them. Like it was a fraternity brother or it was their best friend in college whose father owned a blah, blah. And that's how they got yeah. in. And so there's not like a natural path, like lawyers, college, yeah. law school lawyer, right? For brokers, it's a little bit of a different path. And I'm always interested in, especially for women, how did you get into being a broker and what's your trajectory been like? Oh, what a great question. Um, and I'm so thankful that you wanted me on. So thank you. My trajectory was super unorthodox. I I needed a job and I would have been a stay-at-home mom. And so I went on Craigslist because that's what you do. Okay. Craigslist, naturally. <laughs> naturally for only the sophisticated of users. And um, there was a job for an admin at Cushman and Wakefield. And, and I didn't know what that was, but I knew that I could be an admin and, um, or I thought I could. So I went in and got my outfit from the Goodwill. And I was told that I was not qualified. And, you know, looking back, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> but they hired me as the receptionist. And okay. so I was the receptionist. But I took it really seriously because I had two kids to feed and no other income. And so I, I you know, I dressed up really well. And, um, and I, and I tried really hard to learn what was going on, even though it took me about a month to learn what CRE meant, right. commercial real estate for people that yeah. aren't familiar. I got it now, but yeah, um, the vocabulary for commercial leasing is one of the, I mean, there's a lot of barriers to entry on commercial leasing, but one of them is just learning the vocabulary. Yeah. You really, you really gotta just know what things mean. And so I, uh, you know, cause there was, you, they keep the receptionist up front. If you've noticed whenever you go into a firm and then there's the glass doors where the magic happens. So I didn't really understand anything that was going on back there, but I just knew to speak when I was spoken to and to be there when I said I was going to be there pretty much. That's all you have to do. Um, and, and that, so that was kind of my climb. I was quickly hired to be a team exclusive admin. So kind of missed that you first, you were first then supposed to be hired as an admin in the back to be right. a group. And then if you made it a couple of years later, you went onto a team. And so I kind of missed that tier and went directly to work for a top team within the office and was there. What a great experience. experience and opportunity. It was a huge opportunity, huge changed, changed my whole life. Here I am 10 years later. Um, and it was a top landlord uh, broker that had teamed up with a top tenant rep. And so I got to kind of watch them both. And I saw how they both answered the phone and how their clients felt and how, how it all just kind of came together. And at the end of it all, I really gravitated towards the tenant rep side for interesting different reasons. Yeah. Right. Got to see both sides. And was this retail office. office? What was it? Office. It was all office. office. Okay. Yeah. And I got to be a, a global firm. So really, right. if you're going to stumble somewhere, I stumbled at the right place here in Las right. Vegas. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. And so then you 
made the leap to becoming a broker part of that team or another team? Oh yeah. Well, they didn't, they didn't, they were like, yeah, Natalie, in a couple of years, we'll get your licensed. And right. you know, so I called my dad, he's my best friend in Vegas. And I go, dad, I got to borrow some money. Um, Cause I knew, right. I think I was making 14 bucks an hour, which again, thank you, Cushman. I needed it, yeah. but not enough for two babies. Right. Um, and I call them babies, but they were older. Um, and so I, I, I licensed myself. And I would listen to the CDs on tape and, and all of that. And um, I cried when I passed my test the first time. Um, I mean, you're a lawyer. So listen, you and the bar, you get, you know what I went through. Okay? All the pressure. And especially when your livelihood is hanging on it. Um, there's a lot of very, and you know, you're working a full-time job and this is on the side yeah. and, and you're doing it on a dream, right? It's there's a dream. No one is paying you to do it. It's oh. with the hope that this will lead you to the next great thing. Well, because I saw the checks they would get. And I remember yeah. they would send me to pick up the checks. And and I was married. I was a military wife. So if you remember, you would get, I don't know, you remember what it's like when you got a, a tax, what do they call them? Sure. A, uh, return. Tax return. I don't remember what they're called. Yeah. Tax return. And it would be that big chunk of money. And yeah. so yeah. I, I knew what that felt. We, my husband and I, we would stay up all night long. We couldn't wait to get that 6,000. And so I would go and pick up checks for fifty and $75,000. Right. And I would right. take a picture and send it to my family. And I just knew that one day that would be what I would have. And not only right. would it be what I would have, but it would be for looking out for companies. And so I just had this dream, this drive that these guys are unrepresented. So I'm going to be somehow making the world a better place. And I would be able to provide for my family in this huge right. way. And I grew right. up in a very impoverished type of a, um, a family. Right. I had wonderful parents that worked their butts off, but you know, we, we just, we, we three kids, um, you know, so I, I wanted to be able to give my kids a life that I, I knew my parents wanted to give me. So that was my drive. So I, I got my license and I showed up to work and I was like, look at this boys. <laughs> <laughs> and was it all boys at that point? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. My bosses yeah. were both men. And um, yeah. one boss was very old school, very, uh, very I, I'm so thankful for my time under him. Um, and just give him the utmost respect, but he was, there was always going to be that ceiling. Women were to be right. seen, not heard. Um, right. there was definitely a chauvinistic joke. And you're very young. So this is not that long ago in commercial leasing that you were having this experience 10 years ago. I yeah. mean, yes. and I, I think right, even now, isn't it like one out of 10 commercial brokers are women? I mean, it is a very small number. It's a very small number. I was a little girl. I was mid twenties. I was probably like 23 at this time. Um, not to date myself, but like I was like mid twenties, right. you know, didn't really. Plus you came oh. from a background. It sounds like where you weren't used to an office. I come from a similar background. First time I was in a law firm was when I clerked as a summer associate in law school. I had never been in a law firm before right. and I'd never been in an office before. And so it was all very challenging, just beginning to navigate the bro code and office politics. And that was all extremely mysterious to me when I first started. And were, were you like me, where you were a little bit naive and you, I was very naive. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of what went on. And I thought what people said was what they meant. And because I was a stay-at-home mom before, right. so my frame of reference was other moms and that. And I am well-traveled. I got to live in Greece and uh, 
but I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so exactly. it was a little bit of an eye opener, you know. It took and me I, a long time to understand because I had always perceived my, I mean, obviously I know I'm a woman. <laughs> that was not rocket science, but, but I didn't understand how other people just look at a person's gender or race or whatever. And, th and they just apply a stereotype. Somehow I thought that didn't apply to me. No. Um, <laughs> and it took me a long time to understand how, how people viewed me, you know, in this male dominated world, these men viewed me as very different from them. Yeah. And I, I think maybe being naive was a good thing in the beginning to in not know beginning. that. Yeah. It, that's interesting too. And I, I, I appreciate this conversation that we're having. Um, and I might be different than what you had scheduled for us, but I think also to that was the fact that I was uneducated. You know, I graduated with, you know, graduated high school and I was a teenage mother. Um, my daughter's turning 20 this year in a few months and I'm 36. And so I always had that in the back of my head too. Like maybe this is why they view me through that type of a lens, but I'm hearing more so and more so women like you that are highly educated to be respected were also viewed were cannon fodder for this type of behavior as well or brought into meetings because, hey, we we want that female element. It's not so much what we can bring to the table intellectually or through wisdom or through experience. It's more it's like optics. Yes. Yes. And well, so, I'm, I'm some quite a bit older than you, but I think the law firm experience was then what CRE is now, which is that women are just slowly breaking in and I think part of the problem with this implicit bias was for many, many of the men that I worked with, and in fact, the law firm that I summer clerked with, which was an old fashioned New York City law firm, there were men lawyers and women secretaries, and there were women wives. And so now you've got a woman lawyer and it's like, what category does she fit into? And so in the summer, there was a big dinner dance at a fancy fancy country club in Westchester New York and they didn't know what to do with the girl lawyers because the women the wives got a role the men went and played golf and then there was this dance and then after the dinner there are cigars and the wives left but then the women lawyers so it was like this bridge of like these guys didn't know what to do with us because we didn't fit into the gender categories that they had lived with for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And so part of it was like, what are you? And the assumption still, there was this real implicit, like this is until you get married, right? So at some point, you women lawyers will get married and then you'll have kids and you'll disappear. So we don't need oh, to invest so as much time in you. Um, yeah. Now that has changed yeah. dramatically not as dramatically as I wish, but you know, there was yeah. this weirdness. And I think in commercial real estate, which is a very male dominated, there are all these rituals like ICSE in Las Vegas, right? There's these meetings that, you know, I'm sure Cushman Wakefield has a national meeting, maybe an international meeting. And it was probably set up so that all the men went off and did whatever men do. And then women are there and all of a sudden they're like, well, can a woman do this? <laughs> like it's, it's so well, much of it is social, right? Yeah, it's so social, much of it is especially social. Especially for brokers. 
Yes. And that's why I started golfing. Um, everybody, everybody, everything's happening in our golf course. And I, of course, in my nativity, I thought, okay, as long as I can drive the golf course and I volunteer and I'm one of the girls at the thing and my daughter is, was a teenager at the time. She goes, yeah, mom, you can just drive the golf course. No golf cart. No problem. You're adorable. And I had this moment of like, I'm teaching my daughter that I could just be a cart girl. Right. I'm making all this money. I'm incredibly intelligent and I'm a cart girl. Um, right. not, nothing against the cart girls at all. They're magnificent. That's not what of I'm course. saying, but that's not right. what I'm doing. And so I immediately hired a private coach, went like four days a week, bought everything I needed to buy. Cause I have that personality. I can't do anything at all. Just a toe deep. Right. So, Um, And I became that's I started golfing with everybody. I started having meetings. I know many women brokers who have the same story. Yes. And then cigars. I smoke cigars Um, and I love smoking cigars. Who would have known? Now, um, not in excess, obviously, um, but I love to smoke cigars. So and it's not to make myself more masculine. I'm the most female female they've ever femaled. But I, I hear what you're saying. And and then to get back to my bosses, one was that like, I was always going to have this glass ceiling. Um, you know, he, he was that way in his marriage. Um, and, and I could see where I was, where I was capped. Right. And, right. and I could see that I was a little bit of a novelty item. Um, right. Now my other boss, not at all. He was like all in on me becoming whatever I saw in my head. He was the fiercest of my like advocates he made me like we eventually became partners um and it was great it was absolutely great and because of him i was able to become what i think i am today and then some um and it was you know we're obviously no longer partners we ended that about three years ago but that was kind of the trajectory into the field and that's why it's so hard for women to break in because if you don't have somebody that is going to be your ally right it's, it's very hard. It's very, very, very hard. And especially the women that do make it, the women um, that make it in their careers, there seems to be this really, it's like a bro club for women to say, oh, it wasn't that hard. I made it. It was it's not that, it's not that hard. Or they just stay silent. Or when they right. see you come in, they want to be the only one at the boardroom table. We have quite right. a few of those ones. And they've right. got all these acronyms after their names. And sure, they'll be friends with other women of the same caliber, but right. God, God have mercy and save your soul. If you're 20 to 25 years younger, um, you want to make the industry better and you say things like, Hey, it's a little bit tough. It's okay. I'm here for you. Cause then right. you're like the, you're like the leper. It's not classy. Right. You're unprofessional. You know, right. it's got a lot better. What do you know? And it's like, right. okay, fine. You don't like me, but the five thousand women that watch me around the country, that I make it a better place for them, are way more important than being in your, you know over 50 mean girl club. And I'm not even putting ages on it to be ageism at all. All my friends are in their 40s and 50s because my kids are, you know, way older. Um, But it's like, there's this mean girls club and it's like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And and, you know, one of the, (laughs) one of my little side projects is I started this group called Women in Leasing Law uh, about nine years ago. And it is a consortium of women leasing lawyers. And when I first started it, started it, especially men were like, 
So the point was to uplift, support, and educate ourselves. And yeah, that's Maggie. She's oh, visiting. hi, Maggie. Look at all. Oh, cute. Okay. Um, Sorry. Okay. Um, so the point of it was to uplift, support, and educate women commercial leasing lawyers so that we could all be better. Because certainly when I started, there were not that many women in real estate law, especially com commercial real estate. And um, now that's changed dramatically, but certainly when I started. And a number of people, especially men, said, why would you form a group with your competitors? So there are not many women leasing lawyers. One of the things that makes you stand out is presumably because you're a woman leasing lawyer, and now you're joining hands with all these okay. other women leasing yeah. lawyers. And I said, because I don't believe in this male model of competition where the pie is, you know, very small and there's only tiny pieces and we have to be cutthroat to get the pieces of the pie. I don't believe that. I believe that if we collaborate with each other, you know, the rising tide lifts everybody. And I have been uh, proven right over and over again. Um, I mean, and I'm sure you probably find this with other women brokers who are like-minded and do want to collaborate is that you get, you know, conflicted out or you can't take on a matter or, you know, now I'm old enough that I have friends who retire and they're like, so I'm retiring. So, you know, do you want these clients? Uh, so yeah. it's, it has turned out to be fantastic. And it, the other thing is, as I'm sure you discovered, there's an extra level of anxiety being a woman in a commercial real estate environment where you're learning because you don't want to ask too many questions because then people are going to be like, oh, she doesn't know anything. <laughs> but you need to ask questions because how are you going to learn? Yes. And so this group of women lawyers then became very supportive, especially a lot of us, you know, just in defense of the law firms, and that's a separate conversation, became solo attorneys. And you don't have a colleague next door where you can just walk next door and ask the question, gee, I'm doing this issue. I've never seen it before. What do you think? And so this became this collaborative space where we'd say, you know, I'm, you know, work letters are proving really challenging for me. How about we put on a seminar? Let's all put our heads together and we'll put a seminar on and work letters and we'll have a conversation about it and we'll draft what we think is a really good work letter. And it's been amazing. It's truly, truly transformed my life. And again, I, there were a lot of naysayers in the beginning. Why would you team up with competitors? You know, I just, I, I think it's a really that. old fashioned way to think. Oh, I love that. And I'm so glad we found each other. I, yes, that's exactly what I think. I think, and that's what I've done. And I think I, it's really helping the commercial real estate world because the landlord brokers and I, and they're competitors too, because just because I'm exclusive doesn't mean that they don't do tenant rep work just because they're right. landlord brokers. And we're all so close that they send me their rent rolls. Now I'm not a I'm not an ambulance chasing tenant rep, right? right? I've never used a rent roll to be like, hey, your release is for up or to spam right. mail. Right. I use it to be a more knowledgeable right. um, broker. And so right. they trust me so much. I send a text like, hey, can you send me for that project that has a hundred tenants? And they send right. it over. It's And you create yeah. that atmosphere. It makes us all better. And and as for needing to learn, I love that so much. And I, I just, yes, I love being on the phone. I've only been doing this for 10 years. And so when I am on the phone with an OG office broker from CBRE that's been doing this for 25 years and something really interesting happens in a lease or my question, my tenant asks a question, I ask, I show all of my cards and it's one of my superpowers. It's like, hey, I'm asking you this from a mentor 
perspective, even though they're the landlord broker and I'm the tenant broker, and it's like, you know, I've never seen this before. Have you? And they're like, you know, I've only ever seen it once. It's actually a really cool way to get a deal done and we can structure it to where the competitive, like, and it's just, I learn so much and I do it in front of my clients too. Massive sure. clients. I'll do it while we're walking a space and they'll be like, oh, this is that new LED lighting. And I finally just the other day said, you know, God, I, I, this happens to me three times a week. And I've just, I just got to ask, I can't tell the difference. I can't, I'm looking at it. <laughs> and my client, this is huge client. It's their 35, 31st one. They spend millions of dollars in, um, in their, their build outs. She goes, oh my God, I've been too embarrassed to ask. And so we're exactly. <laughs> We're able to listen. I'm a I'm a pit bull with negotiations. I'm smart. I know my market, but I don't need to know why a light looks a certain way. You know, it's okay to show our cards. I think that is something that anybody that watches this or anybody, I, I think when you first get in the business, you, I was told to wear closed-toed shoes, wear pantyhose. Don't talk about the fact I'm a single mom. Don't. I was just told to be something. Don't bring your authentic self. Yes. And that was the other thing when I first started, since there wasn't a role for women lawyers, like well, the women are secretaries, the men are lawyers. So what's your choice as a woman lawyer? Well, you don't want to identify with the secretaries, even though a lot of them were really cool, as I discovered once I got through law firms. Yeah. Um, but so you have to be like a man. So yeah. don't talk about woman issues, right? So I knew nothing about sports. And so for years, this hampered me because I had no, finally, when I had kids, yeah. Even men lawyers can talk about kids, right? Yeah. Um, but until then, it was because I couldn't say that I watched TV. I couldn't say that I was a huge reader of books. I couldn't say that I love learning languages. Couldn't say, you know, I'm in love <clears throat> with my dog. Like, you know, all the things that were really interesting to me, I certainly couldn't mention that I came from an impoverished background, um, that, that the whole office thing was very challenging for me. Um, and that makes it really hard to not be able to fit in with your colleagues to always feel like you're putting on a persona yeah um and i'm so i feel that it's really changed and that again as you say your superpower is being your authentic self it really is you got nothing to lose because if you're in an environment where you when you're yourself like you know it becomes toxic or people are uncomfortable around you then you know, like, okay, this isn't, I'm not supposed to be here. Like go right. find something different or it will enamor people towards you and you find your tribe. I hate that word, but sorry. Um, but like, you'll find the people that come towards you and, and that thrive around you. So I don't know. I, I, I know we're supposed to talk about my market so we could switch That's gears. Okay. No, I was actually going to go back a little bit and say, I love what you're so doing. You I were, just when, you. Sorry. <laughs> thank you. So when you were a baby broker, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're observing um, how deals are done. What did you like about what you saw? Like, what did you admire about the skill set that the brokers that you thought were really good? What what did they bring to the table that you thought, oh, I would want to do that? For sure, I I loved under the landlord broker. So he had a bunch of listings as an office broker, and some of them were kind of the the C stuff, the stuff that was right. twenty thirty cents a dollar cheaper than everything else. And this broker right. 
would work those listings as hard as he was work his, um, let's say more class B, class A stuff. And I remember being very impressed with that and thinking if I owned a portfolio of properties, I would want, his name was Bob Hawkins. I would want Bob Hawkins on my portfolio um, because he didn't just put a, a sign up. And the more and more I get to know the industry, and I haven't worked under him for years and years, um, the, the more I get to see the industry, the more I see the brokers that their listings online don't have floor plans. They don't have the, at least the layout. So it's like, just, I'm dying. It's a puppy party and don't make me get hungry. Okay. But, <laughs> so um, I, like, I should do the interviews in the afternoon because when I do them in the morning, then they don't get their morning walk. And so now what they're doing is they're camping out at my feet. Like Mom, you should be we've got to start out the door. Like, what is happening? You're sitting schedule. here talking to the wall again. <laughs> no, I totally get it. I can't believe that Henry's yeah. not here. No, I, I but goal. going back to your point, I think that's really true that yeah. um, you know, brokers are compensated, you know, based on the rent, basically. So the lower the rent, you would think you would be less incentivized to work on that property. You yeah. focus your attention on the higher rent things. Yeah. But and your client's not going to appreciate that. And this, this broker, he didn't care. If, and the same comes down to size too. If you're on one of his office buildings and you called on a 20, you know, let's say a 12,000 full floor, or if you were calling on a suite down the first floor for 1200 square feet, I, that man consistently hung up the phone. I'll meet you now. A lot of these that brokers, try to pre, it is, he'll try to, they'll try to pre-qualify you. Um, uh, oh, what, what size your tenant? What are they looking for? Right, right. I, you're dead with me before I hit the water. Like, listen, go do something else with your life. If these are my buildings and this is my livelihood, you get your ass out there and you show my space. Like that's right. the way you should do it. And, and that's what I really admired on that side. On the other side, watching a tenant rep, and this is my philosophy too. We, and you know, obviously Cushman, when we got bought by the big mothership, we were commerce in the beginning, um, really hated this, but we never, we never conformed. I still haven't. Uh, we don't calculate our commission and on the front end, never, never, ever. I'm closing two behemoths right now. I know that the range of what it is, but I couldn't tell you the exact. Um, and the reason being is the better we do our job, the less money we make. So if I'm fighting a landlord for a lower rate, more free rent, and so on, it means I'm going to make less money. Right, because the way brokers are compensated, so people understand, is a percent of the rent over the term of the yeah. lease. So yeah. if you negotiate for your tenant client that the rent is lower, your take-home pay is lower. Is lower. And if they get free rent, we don't get paid on free rent. There's it's no money like on the rent. Still, right. Yeah, there's no. So if I'm doing a seven-year deal and we get five months of free rent, and if I get 30 cents under asking, we don't get money on that. Um, and I, it's such a high, it's such a high and my landlords, I have to sign NDAs at the end of probably about 60% of my deals because they don't want word out that right. I got the concessions that I get such a good deal. Yeah. 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 So yeah. if you don't, how does that work? Um, so you have a, a listing, you have an exclusive listing agreement with your tenant client mm -hmm. and the listing agreement just gives a range of what you could charge for the commission? Uh, well, I never have listing agreements to correct you because I'm- Oh, wow, right? okay. 
So I always have an exclusive representation agreement okay. and, the land, and the landlords always pay my fee. So my tenants right. yes. never yes. have to pay my fee. Um, right. And so, you know, I just represent my tenant. And when we go, my typical fee is 5%. And so I get 5% of whatever the um, total value is. So if it's okay. a 1.2 million, I get 5% of that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. So quick, quick math. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm Joanne Woodsum. Thanks for listening to the Commercial Leasing Diva podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, rate and review us, like and subscribe. You know the drill. The podcast is produced by Sandy Viteri and edited by Matthew Salanoa. Thank you so much again, and we'll see you next time.